Uh, we're not done with the book of Revelation. Uh, next week we're going to move on to chapter 4. Uh, but this is the last and interestingly, probably the most well-known of the seven churches, the uh, church at Laodicea. Um, I've heard more messages on this church than any other. Uh, matter of fact, I looked in... Uh, I've preached on this more than any of the other churches. So again, that's uh, fairly common. Um, let's just do a little rundown. Church at Ephesus began chapter 2. The church that lost its passion for Jesus. Uh, uh, the church at Smyrna, the church that was getting the life squeezed out of them. Remember we had the lemons and the lemon juicer and we were squeezing. That, that's what was happening there in the church at Smyrna. Uh, the church at Pergamum had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And they thought that was going to be okay with the Lord. The church at Thyatira had a false teacher. And... Uh, that, that uh, false teacher was tolerated, that's okay, maybe she'll just go away, and, and the Lord was not happy with the church at Thyatira. Um, the church at Sardis, that was the church that was sound asleep. Shh, don't tell them they're actually dead. Uh, and we looked at the church at Sardis, then uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Bob uh, presented the church at Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. It's the one church where there's really nothing mentioned, uh, any problems. Uh, they're struggling and the Lord is saying, hang in there, I'll get you through this. Hang in there, trust in me, uh, lean on me, and I'm going to get you through this. And now today, the church at Laodicea. Laodicea. Uh, probably, most scholars believe, the church at Laodicea was the most wealthy, the most prosperous, the most affluent of the seven churches. Not true today, uh, just ruins. Uh, however, because there's only ruins there, if you go there, uh, there's huge, wonderful, massive ruins, and they keep digging and digging. And if you ever make it to Turkey, make sure you make it to Laodicea. Wonderful ruins. But uh, the most wealthy, the most prosperous, the most affluent of the seven churches. One of the most affluent churches in the world at this time. So, let me, uh, before we jump in, just talk about affluence and prosperity and riches today. Did you know that likely... Now, we don't know because we can't predict the future, but likely today, right now, we're living in the most affluent, prosperous, wealthy country in all of history. And, and right now, it seems, seems we're at our zenith. I mean, the stock market's at an all-time high right now. Uh, it seems like the economy is back. Well, what about the unemployment? Well, I've had three businessmen recently tell me they've had help wanted signs out for over a year and they cannot fill the jobs. So it seems if you're willing to work for nine or 10 bucks an hour, there's a job to be had. So again, I'm just, I just realized that we right now today, we are living in the most affluent, uh, wealthy, 
nation in, in likely all of history. And in northwest lower Michigan, we're living in the crown jewel of the Midwest. You know that, right? People who could live anywhere in the world choose to live at least part of the year right here in northwest lower Michigan. They, they could go wherever they wanted, and they say, we like it right here in northwest lower Michigan. Uh, and some of you are thinking right now, and I know what you're thinking, but you're not talking about me, Pastor Jeff, because I'm, I'm a working stiff. Uh, I live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, I'm, I'm not one of those one or two percenters, so, so that's not me. I just want you to listen closely, okay? You need to understand this. If you graduated from high school, you are in the vast uh, minority in this world today. Most people don't. If you graduated from the eighth grade, you are miles ahead of most of the rest of the world. We don't we forget that. And you have the opportunity, if you want, you could have or could still go to junior college or the university. We have those opportunities. If you own a car, how many of you own a car or a motorcycle or a truck or a moped? Would you please raise your hand? Okay? You're miles ahead. Ninety-some percent of the world doesn't have any transportation of their own. So we take those things so for granted. If you're in India or China or Africa or North Korea or Haiti, there's a real good chance you don't have transportation of your own. And if you do, you're in that upper one, two, three percent in that society. If you have indoor plumbing and running water and electricity in your house, I think we should, we should ask that question. How many of you have indoor plumbing, running water, most of the time, if it's not frozen, and electricity in your home. Can I see your hands? You're way ahead of the vast majority of folks in this world. Way ahead. And it's just like we take this so for granted. Um, how many of you have food in the refrigerator? How many of you have some food maybe in the freezer? Or some of us, we're even, we have an actual appliance that's nothing but a freezer in addition to our freezer with our fridge. And we actually have food stocked up in there. And, and we could eat for the next several weeks, some of us the next several months, if needed and necessary. Uh, I'm just telling you, we are so far more affluent and prosperous than the vast majority of the other 7 billion inhabitants of planet Earth. Uh, most of you will be buying presents for family members coming up on Christmas. And some of you will buy presents for people around you, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, and you can actually buy them fun stuff. It doesn't have to be all basic needs. I'm telling you, we are so blessed and we don't even think about it. Um, if somebody cuts their hand this afternoon, Travi, you cut your hand on a knife, something sharp this afternoon. Here's, here's what most of us would do. If it's a bad cut and it's kind of gaping, what will we do? Well, of course, we would get in the car and we would drive to the emergency room and we would sit there and eventually someone will bring you in and they will sew you up and they will stitch your hand or set a bone if it's broken and you can go home in your own car. That's not available to the vast majority of people in our world today. 
here's my point. Compared to the rest of the world, even the poorest person here today would be considered rich and blessed in most of India, most of China, most of Africa, most of Haiti. Today, we're going to look at the seventh church. And I'll say it again, it is the most affluent and prosperous and wealthy of the seven churches that Jesus addresses. And yet, give me your eyes, and yet, despite their great prosperity and wealth and affluence, Jesus doesn't have one positive word to say to them. Jesus doesn't have one word of commendation, well done, good job, to this church. Um, I believe their wealth and their riches, instead of helping their spiritual lives, listen closely, actually their wealth and their prosperity and their affluence was a hindrance to their spiritual lives. So before we stand and read, let me ask you a question. Um, what if wealth and riches and prosperity sometimes leads to spiritual decay? What if wealth and prosperity and affluence sometimes leads to spiritual bankruptcy? Let's stand together. Let's read the final letter to the seventh church. Ready? Out loud, let's all read God's word together. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, these are tough words that we just read. Uh, this is harsh and this is blunt, but I believe, Lord, that uh, you had a message for that church at Laodicea. And Lord, I also believe that these words have application for us today, 2014, in your church at Walloon. So Lord, would you please show us some of the dangers of living in the most prosperous and wealthy country likely in all of history? Lord, show us how this can affect 
our relationship with your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I'd also like to pray right now for those who are here in your church and they're hurting and they're struggling in some area of their life. Lord, I pray for Rusty and Darlene as they wrestle with the cancer news they received this past week. And Lord, I pray for us as a church family that we'll reach out in love and support and pray and encourage Rusty and Darlene. Lord, thank you that you protected Susan Miller in that car accident. And Lord, I'm asking that you might bring healing to uh, that break in her neck. Um, Lord, I want to pray for marriages and families that are struggling and in turmoil. Lord, I pray for forgiveness and repentance and love and respect to be restored. Lord, thanks for working in Todd's life and Luke. Thank you for what you've done in Stevie's life, and we heard that last week. And Lord, thank you for bringing the, Sa the Haiti team back with us safely. And I'm praying, Lord, that uh, in second service they'll testify well of the good things that you have done. We invite your spirit right now, the third person of the Trinity, to come today in your church. Uh, illuminate and wake us up, Lord, and I'm praying that your word, living, active, alive, uh, might come together with your spirit and, Lord, uh, move us out of our complacency. Lord, speak to us about our self-sufficiency. Lord, uh, if there's any areas of lukewarmness, Lord, you kick us right now in the pants. We give you permission. And all the church gathered at Walloon Lake said with joy in their hearts. You may be seated. Verse 14. To the angel of the church at Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's Jesus describing himself. So uh, Jesus is saying, before I get going, church at Laodicea, I just want you to know who's telling you these things. I'm the amen. I'm the end. I'm the omega. I'm the ender of everything. I'm the amen at the end of all of life. Oh, and I'm also, go back to verse 14, I'm the faithful and the true witness. So what I'm about to tell you is factual. It's accurate. I know you don't want to hear it, and you might not be happy to hear it, but I'm telling you the truth. Oh, and by the way, last part of verse 14, Jesus says, and I'm the ruler of God's creation. Uh, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, Jesus is sitting on the throne in mission control in heaven's throne room. Get that picture. Mission control on the throne, that's Jesus' place. He's seated. Or to put it in the words of a song, he's got the whole world. Sing it with me. In his hands he's got the whole world. In his... Okay, that's enough. Uh... <laughs> He's, he's the ruler of God's creation. Think about it. That's who he is. And now he's about to go after the church at Laodicea. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Verse 16, so because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, 
I'm about to spit, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Need to tell you a little bit about Laodicea's location. It was located on a major highway, a Roman highway, okay? Uh, gave it great financial advantages. And uh, it, there was a good reason why this city was located where it was. It's because it was very convenient from lots of different directions to get to. Um, it was a little bit like I-75, only coming into the city gates, you, it narrowed, and you had to slow down and go right through the city of Laodicea. That's why that city was there. And, and again, it was a great location for commerce, it was a lousy location for water. There was no natural water source here. So great location, let's, 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 let's set up a city here, but there was no natural water source. So because they were wealthy, because this was a good place for commerce, they built aqueducts. They built large tunnels elevated of water, and they literally um, built aqueducts to bring water into this, this town, Laodicea. Now here's what you need to know. About six miles to the north, Hierapolis. Um, reason that's important is because today, if you go to Turkey, if you want a nice mineral hot bath, you go to Hierapolis. Still there, okay? And they've discovered lots of aqueducts that ran from there to the city of Laodicea. So you got this hot water, and they would truck it, and it would come through the aqueduct system, and it would come into town. To the east was a city called Colossi. Colossi was right at the foot of mountains, and lots of great, cool, refreshing mountain water. So they, would, they built aqueducts from Colossi all the way to Laodicea as well. Now here's the problem, you ready? Um, by the time the hot mineral water from Hierapolis traveled six miles in the aqueducts to Laodicea, any guesses? Lukewarm. By the time the cool, refreshing mountain water in Colossae traveled 10 miles to Laodicea, any guesses? What was it? Lukewarm. They had nasty water. <laughs> it, it was lukewarm. It was not refreshing. It was not hot. That's just the way it was. Coffee drinkers, how many of you like your hot cup of coffee? Do you like it when coffee has now sat for three, four hours, and now it's lukewarm, tepid? Most of us, now there might be a few exceptions, you weird ones here, but um, most of us, that's, no, no, lukewarm Mountain Dew drinkers, uh, uh, do you like a refreshing can of warm soda? Sound good? Hot, sweaty day, iced tea, or tepid uh, room temperature tea? Oh, well, that's not even a choice. Glass of milk. Okay, one of two things. Let's heat that milk up, put a lot of cocoa in it. That's pretty good, right? Um, or pull it right out of the fridge, nice and cold, icy cold glass of milk. That's a good option. Third option. Sit on the table for eight or nine hours. And now, ooh, it's getting lumpy on me. Uh, bad option. Lukewarm. Not good. Not good at all. Okay? Uh, you've been wondering what's this? Well, well I, uh, 
just happened to pull some ice out of the freezer in our house. And guess what? How spoiled we are. We don't even have to make ice. We got this little machine. It makes ice for us. Is that not amazing? Uh, the whole time we were in Haiti, I realized I'm missing. I never had a piece of ice the whole time. Ice, it's a great luxury. It tastes really good. Don't you wish you had this glass right now? I may do this every Sunday. Let's find a reason to have a, a drink of ice water. Now this, on the other hand, is a glass. Um, it's got room temperature water. Um, it's tepid, and, and I just want you to know, compared to that, this is awful. It's nasty compared to that. Now go back to the text. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Um, you're, you're lukewarm. You're, you're tepid. What are you doing? Um, either give me hot water, hot drink, uh, a very nice hot bath, and I won't ask how many of you that's a luxury, or a cold refreshing drink, or in the summer where you're really hot and you go and you jump in a nice cold lake, that feels great. Okay, so either give me hot or give me cold, but this lukewarm stuff, verse 16, is bluntly repulsive, Jesus says. Here's my question. What if the greatest threat to Christianity is lukewarm Christians? What if the greatest threat to Christianity is not ISIS, it's not radical militant Islam, it's not Al-Qaeda? What if the greatest threat to us as followers of Jesus is being lukewarm Christians? What if the greatest threat to Christianity is not Hitchens or Dawkins or some wild, raving atheist, but what if the greatest threat to the church is actually lukewarm Christians? What, what if it's not secular humanists or elite liberals or you can plug in what your favorite nasty person? What if the actual greatest threat to the church is lukewarmness in our love for Jesus. So what's the root cause of lukewarmness? What is it that caused the church at Laodicea to be tepid and nauseating to Jesus in their lukewarmness? Okay? Keep reading, verse 18, we're going to get the answer. Uh, what was it that causes uh, lukewarm Christianity? Here it is, ready? You say... Jesus is saying, you followers of Jesus in Laodicea, here's what you say about yourself. I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. <laughs> the root problem at the church at Laodicea, they were incredibly self-sufficient. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes. They were incredibly self-reliant, self-sufficient, they thought, they believed, they claimed they were just fine. Lord, I'm really doing well right now. Thanks, but I don't think I need your help right now. I don't need your power. I don't need your presence. I'm doing fine. You go help somebody in need, and if I get in a bad way, I'll call out and cry out. But otherwise, I'm doing great. Thanks. 
Around 60 AD, let me give you a little history lesson, a massive earthquake leveled Laodicea. And it just wiped it out, lots of other cities in the region here. Now Rome, which was the world dominant power, came to these cities and said, we're here, we're, we're ready to offer you aid. We'll help you rebuild your devastated city, Laodicea. Um, and the city officials of Laodicea, they took great pride in saying, thanks for the offer, Rome, but we really don't need your help. We're, we're wealthy. We're affluent. We've got the means. We'll rebuild our own city. We're rich, and we don't need a thing from you, Rome. Thanks, but no thanks. And that was a point of great pride for this city. We're, we're, we're good. We don't need any help. Now, Jesus is not writing to the city of Laodicea. Jesus is writing to the Christians, to the followers of Jesus, to the church in Laodicea. Okay? And he's saying, look at it right now, verse 18, you are behaving right now just like the wealthy, affluent, prosperous neighbors in your city. You've adopted their mindset. You think because you've got lots of stuff, you think because you have a nice house and you've got good jobs and money in the bank and fashionable clothes and a nice medical center, you think everything's great and you don't need anything. Just fine, thank you very much. You've adopted that proud, independent mindset, that attitude that says, Jesus, I really don't need you much. I'm doing okay. That proud, self-sufficient, I don't need your help spirit is what brings on lukewarm Christianity. Thanks, Jesus. And I'll call out, you know, if I get in a car accident or if something bad happens or I get bad news, oh, then, then, oh, I need you. But otherwise, I'm doing okay. Don't need to pray much. Don't need to cry out much. Don't need to ask much. Because really, Jesus, I'm doing pretty well. Look at verse 17 again. You say I am rich. You say I have wealth. You say I don't need anything. That's your attitude. So here's their calculation. Church at Laodicea. My own effort and my own possessions is really all I need. Got, got lots of good effort and, and I'm pretty good at what I'm doing. And look at all the good stuff that I've accumulated as a result. Therefore, um, that's about all I need. Hey, Jesus, we're doing good. Um, again, if you, we get in a bind, we'll give you a call. Otherwise, don't really need you right now in my life. Verse 17, last, last section. Uh, here's the reality. Jesus says, um, excuse me, but as the ruler of God's creation, here's my decision. Here's my input. Here's what I have to say about it. You're not doing okay, and you're not doing okay with your own effort and your own stuff. Matter of fact, I find five things that are true about you right now. Look at what he says, and this is strong. Uh, nobody wants to hear this. Here's five realities. This is who you are actually. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Want to say it with me? It's kind of fun. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. One more time. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and 
Laodicea was a great banking center, lots of money. Uh, likely, most of the Christians in Laodicea, they were doing really well. Upper middle class, middle class. Uh, I know you've got money in the bank, your 401k is doing, but here is my assessment, Jesus says. Spiritually, you are poor and pitiful. Spiritually, you're poor and pitiful. Uh, Laodicea was a fashion capital of the world. Fine black wool, luxurious wool of Laodicea was all the rage at this time. The streets in Laodicea were not lined with Walmart and Target and Myers. Okay? We're talking Gucci and Armani. Okay? This was a this was a fashion capital of the world, and, and, and probably most of the Christians were able to dress rather fashionably. Jesus says, church, Laodicea, spiritually right now, you are naked. Shameful nakedness going on. They had a world-renowned eye clinic. And this, words, this was not just by chance that Jesus brings this in. Okay? This was the mayo of the day. You had bad eyes make it to Laodicea. They had discovered a powder uh, ground from a local stone that brought much relief with eye trouble, brought lots of healing. He says, Jesus followers in Laodicea, you think you've got this great medical center? You think you've got great eyesight? Here's my judgment. You're actually blind spiritually. You, you can't see a thing in the spiritual area. Now, this is a huge contrast. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bob, uh, there's this church in Philadelphia. Jesus says, depend on me, trust in me. You're going through bad times, but I'll see you through. Just lean and trust and depend on me. Here, church at Laodicea, just the exact opposite. I'm doing great on my own. I don't need you, Jesus. I'm fine. Besides, I'm putting lots of effort, and I got a lot of stuff. So I'm doing pretty well. Now, no persecution mentioned in this church, no blatant sin, no false teaching, no heresy. Here's my question. What if wealth and prosperity and affluence sometimes leads to spiritual decay and spiritual bankruptcy? What if that's the greatest danger and the greatest cause that leads to lukewarmness. Now the risen Jesus Christ gives some counsel. He's not done. Okay, that, that, they got, you're in a bad way, but here's my advice. Here's the, here's the solution to your five-fold problem of being wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Verse 18, here we go. I counsel you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich uh, and I want you to buy for me white clothes to wear so you can cover your what your shameful nakedness and I want you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can start seeing again what's Jesus saying here he's saying that riches that really matter riches that really last Real life that, that ultimately really makes a difference only comes from Jesus. That, that's where real riches come from, uh, only from Jesus. The affluent Christians in Laodicea, 
They were spiritually poor. They were spiritually naked. They were spiritually blind. Jesus says, you know what? You need what only I can give you. At core, you're living self-sufficient, but at core, you really need me. And by living this way, you're showing how wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked you really are. They were trusting in their education, their jobs, their clinics, their medical care, their fashion. Oh, yeah, I'm doing great. No, you're really not. They're trusting in their rugged independence. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to be okay. Uh, Moses warned about this. Uh, children of Israel were, were about to enter the promised land. Uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you can turn there quickly if you want to see with me. Uh, land of promise, there's going to be abundance and prosperity. And here's Moses' warning. Uh, Deuteronomy 8:17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's God who blesses us. It's God who's behind every good and perfect gift that we receive. James chapter 1. He gets the credit. Anything good going on in our lives, that's from the Lord. That's his good and perfect gift. It's tempting to think, no, no, that was my power and my strength, and I was clever, and I were, that was me, me, and me, me, me. You know, it's tempting to take credit for our prosperity and our abundance and our affluence. But I promise you, if you were born in a slum in Port-au-Prince, you would be living a different life today. Or if you were born in a slum in a low caste in Calcutta, India, I promise you, no matter how smart and clever you think you are, you would be in a different place today. Who gave you the drive to work hard? Who gave you the smarts to work smart? Who placed you to live in this opportune, abundant place? Again, I'm sure most of the Christians in Laodicea, I am blessed. It was a beautiful city. Surround, if you could see pictures of it right now, it's gorgeous. And they, oh man, we have this great medical college if I get sick, and a great banking center, and there's an ATM on the corner. And look at me, I'm dressed in this wonderful fashion statement, black wool. Man, and there's this wonderful highway that comes, everybody comes through our town. Jesus says, materially, you're doing great. Spiritually, you're dying. You're bankrupt. You're in decay. Um, last year, when we went to Haiti, here's what I was pretty sure was going to happen before I went. I was pretty sure I was going to get back and I was going to say, Oh, Lord, thank you for the ice maker and, uh, oh, Lord, thank you for my iPhone. And, oh, Lord, thank you for all of the nice, uh, luxurious things you've blessed me with. Thank you, thank you, Lord. I'm so blessed. Um, but the reality is I went to Derivo and I met brothers and sisters in Christ with no running water and no electricity and no refrigerator and no stove 
and no car and no motorcycle and no moped and no education and all they had was Jesus and his church and they were doing great and frankly that shocked me actually as a whole they were doing better there was more joy there was more life there was more trust in Jesus than I see regularly in this place of abundance that we call our church <laughs> and, and you come back and you wonder is all of this affluence and prosperity and riches that we get to enjoy is that really a help spiritually or perhaps is that actually a great hindrance for us spiritually is this is, is having all of this, this stuff, is, is that a temptation to lean and depend and trust in that instead of Jesus? The greatest danger for Christianity today is lukewarm Christians. And the cause of lukewarm Christianity is trusting in my own efforts, in my own wealth, and my own stuff instead of trusting in Jesus. Verse 20, I'm glad we're not done because that would be really sad if that's how we ended. Uh, Jesus says, verse 20, here I am, most well-known verse in all of um, maybe the whole book of Revelation. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here's what I'm really grateful for. Uh, Jesus didn't hate the church at Laodicea. Aren't you glad about that? Um, he, he wasn't so angry, okay, I'm just leaving you alone and just enjoy your stuff. That's not the picture here. Look at verse 20. Jesus looks at us, and, and they're lukewarm, and they're absorbed in their stuff, uh, and yet Jesus is there loving and patiently waiting and persistently knocking and calling out from the door of their hearts. Isn't that good news? <laughs> I find that encouraging, that, that he loves his children. And oh, by the way, this is not aimed at unsaved, unchurched people who don't know or care about. This is aimed at Christians. And it says, verse 20, look at it, Jesus is at the door of our hearts and when we get lukewarm and we go brain dead and we're, we're trusting in our own efforts and our stuff, Jesus stands outside and he's knocking and he's calling. So here's my question. Has Jesus been trying to get your attention recently? Do you hear him knocking and calling out to you? Can I just plead with you as your pastor? Would you consider answering the door? He wants to come in. He really does. And in this day and age, to sit down and eat with someone was a sign of friendship, a sign of acceptance, a sign of koinonia and oneness and, and fellowship. You tracking? Jesus says, that's what I want with you. You've been trusting and, and depending and leaning and lots of other stuff, but I want you to trust in me and I want you to dine with me because I want to dine with you. 
I want a relationship with you. But you first got to open the door <laughs> to know Jesus and walk with him and daily stay connected with him. Give me your eyes. Is so much better than money or clothes or pensions or medical plans or degrees or houses or the best toys you can think of right now. The best thing in life is to know and be connected and abide in daily trust in Jesus. That's the best thing in life. Way better than any of the, the pretty stuff that we're tempted to run after. You know, I, I was pretty satisfied with my 40-inch flat screen until I was at my friend's house who had a 50. So I had to go get a 50, and once I got my 50, then I went to somebody's house and they had a 70-inch screen. And now I'm not satisfied. And I was pretty good with my iPhone until they came out with the really big iPhone, and now, you know, I'm suffering because I don't have the really big iPhone. Really? Real life comes only through walking daily with Jesus. Only Jesus can meet our deepest spiritual needs. And the good news is he's knocking. And he's calling out. And he loves. And he patiently says, you know, just open the door. I'll come in. That good news? That's our Jesus. And he loves us even when we get lukewarm. Bow your head, shut your eyes. Lord, uh, thank you for your patience and your love and your goodness to us. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing stuff, wealth and riches and prosperity and chasing after bigger screen TVs and bigger screens on our phones to consume our attention and our affection. Lord, we are convinced that the greatest danger to Christianity is lukewarm Christians. And it's possible that wealth and riches and prosperity, instead of being a help spiritually, can be a great hindrance. and lead to decay and bankruptcy spiritually. Speak, Lord. We're listening right now for what you have to say to us individually. So what are you going to do with this? Has Jesus been trying to get your attention? Jesus been calling out, knocking at your door? Right where you're seated, here's the great news. You can open up the door and, and just repent. That's what it says. Be earnest and repent. Lord, I've been chasing after the wrong stuff. I should have been chasing after you. And just tell him, Jesus, I need you. You're my everything. Without you, my best efforts bring nothing. 
But just think about it. With Jesus, we get everything. All the spiritual blessings available come our way. Lord, may we all repent of our lukewarm, self-sufficient ways. Lord, get our eyes off of the stuff and the toys and the, the affluence of what this world screams is important. Lord, help us to once again be reminded it's all about your son, Jesus. I pray that for myself. I pray that for each and every one of my friends here today. We pray this in the awesome name of the one who right now is knocking and calling and patiently loving us, Jesus Christ.